One of the things that never ceases to amaze me is that I had no idea what the song selection was today, and yet it perfectly fits into what I want to say, and I so deeply appreciate the worship team. They do such a phenomenal job. They really do. This morning, we are going to be looking at Romans chapter 11. But before we do that, I think it's very important that we understand that this way that the book of Romans was written is very much like the way Paul had written other epistles in the fact that, first of all, there is doctrine and then there's duty what you believe, what we believe, and then how we put that into practice. And so today we're going to conclude the doctrinal section, and next week we will go into the duty section of how we're going to put our belief into practice. And what my prayer has been the whole week as I was preparing this message, or the past few weeks, is that we would really enjoy and see the greatness of our salvation. It, it it truly bothers me when I see so many Christians have just like a, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, yeah, fine. Well, we've been redeemed. We've been bought out of the slave market of sin. God has saved us from our sin and judgment. And that ought to excite our hearts and motivate us to worship him with greater love and appreciation. And so a quick rundown would be, for instance, in chapter 1 through 3 is the mandate for salvation. Why salvation is needed. Why? Well, the immoralist in chapter 1 is defiant against Almighty God. But you come to chapter 2, and the moralist says, well, I'm so glad I'm not like them. But they are. Because the root problem is pride. And so you come here and Paul concludes in Romans 3, 9, he says, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin, as is written. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. What an indictment God puts against the human race. And yet he comes here in chapters 4 and 5 of Romans and he said, the message of salvation is the same. In the Old Testament, they looked forward to a Redeemer that would come. We look back to the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of his death, we are justified by faith We have peace with God and we exalt in hope, according to chapter 5. But we know that when we became a believer, we began to see what the truths were of Romans 6 and 7 and that mindset because of our salvation. And often we struggle with temptation and we want to satisfy our fleshly desires. And we end up many times saying like what Paul does. He says, what I, I want to do right, but all I seem to do is do wrong. But we have to remember the great solutions that we have. Romans 8.1, no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. We've been adopted into the family of God. We're called sons and daughters of the Most High. We also have those incredible privileges when it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? God's on our side. Praise God. As Micah would say, an amen belongs here, you know. Uh, we, we can go to our Father and pray. We know that Jesus prays for us. Uh, 
And nothing, absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And now we come to this section, chapters 9 through 11. And that's God's mercy that is seen in salvation. And so he comes with chapter 8 and we see the great love of God. But then when you get to chapters 9 and 10, Paul opens with great expression and passion that he wishes all of his fellow countrymen would come to faith in Christ. But tragically, in chapter 10, verse 21, he quotes from Isaiah 65, 2 and says, All the day long I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. And last week, Dr. Youssef's message set was so on target when he said these people had misguided zeal, misdirected efforts, deliberate mishearing of the truth, and sheer disobedience and defiance to Almighty God. And yet, yet, God still loves them and is merciful. Praise God. Praise God for his mercy. You see, Mercy is the withholding of judgment when it is due. We, are under the, we were under the judgment of Almighty God until we were redeemed by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Judgment is gone. Praise God. So what happens in this passage in Romans 11, Paul gives us four examples of the mercy of God. He says here, his first one is, is himself. He said, I had all these privileges. I had all these positions. He expounds it further in in Philippians chapter 3. He said, it wasn't ritual. It wasn't race. I was a tribe of Benjamin. It wasn't rank. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. It wasn't tradition. According to the law, I was a Pharisee, so I had great religious privileges. I had zeal. I even persecuted the church, so it wasn't a matter of sincerity. According to the law, I was blameless, so it wasn't self-righteousness. He was only redeemed because of the mercy of Almighty God. In fact, he says, all of my accomplishments were as trash, and a great rendition of that is half-eaten corpse. How gross. And yet, he says, because of the mercy of God, he never abandoned me. And it's interesting the statement he uses here, verse 1. May it never be. Mm, That's an okay translation. But when you read it in the original, it says, May God not be God if that is so. That's powerful. Ten times in the book of Romans, he uses that phrase. May God not be God if that is so. His mercy. His incredible mercy. There's an interesting chapter in Nehemiah chapter 9, and it talks about the, the history of the nation of Israel. And they went, and it's a cycle that you see in this passage. It starts with blessing. And then the people become complacent. And then his pride sets in. And because of the pride, God brought judgment. And then the, the people repented. And then there was blessing. And in the cycle, there's five cycles there. And, and it says five different times it says, you are a gracious and compassionate God. 
how easy it would have been for God to destroy the nation of Israel. As time went on, First Kings says that Ahab did more evil in the sight of God than all who were before him. And when you read the list of the kings, they did some pretty rotten stuff. But Ahab was worse than everybody. And in an evil society, steeped in Baal worship, steeped in absolute pure evil, there is a voice crying in a wilderness. And who is it? It's the man Elijah. And that's the second example of God's mercy in this passage of Romans chapter 11. And it's verses 2 to 7. You see, Elijah had... Um, slaughtered the prophets of Baal. Jezebel had scared the living daylights out of him. So he runs. And the fearsome man becomes the fearful man. And he says, Lord, I'm the only one left. Nobody will, I'm the only one serving you. Everybody else has abandoned you. And then I love this statement. I have for myself... Don't you love that? What, 7,000 righteous men. God's mercy in sparing Israel and bringing forth 7,000 prophets. I have for myself. I I just love that statement. To show God's tenderness, his graciousness, and his mercy. You ever felt like Elijah? Sure, we all have. Well, Lord, I, I'm just the only one ministering for you. I wish others would get on the stick and start doing stuff. And the Lord says, oh, don't worry about it. I have my children. I have them for myself. I'll take care of them. You just keep at the work. But in verse 6, there's a little phrase that is, is interesting. It's a phrase that introduces the whole concept of God's grace. You see, God's grace is giving us what we don't deserve. Whereas mercy shows the withholding of God's punishment, grace says, I'm giving you something that you don't deserve. And these 7,000 prophets were spared, not because of who they were, but because of God's wonderful grace and mercy. What a wonderful concept for us to remember. God gives us what we don't deserve. His grace, right? His saving grace when we received him as Savior. And each day now, his sustaining grace in the midst of trials and difficulties. God never abandons his children. And we all say, praise God for that. So he comes here and he says, let me illustrate my grace to you, what it's all about. And the third illustration is the nation of Israel from verses 7 to 17. And if you'll remember in, the, in your background, Genesis 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham. And when a covenant was made in those days, the animal was split in two. The men would walk together, they would hold hands, and then they would walk through the midst of the sacrificed animal, which said that it was incumbent upon both of them to fulfill the requirements of that covenant that was made between the two. But when God made the Abrahamic covenant, what did he do? He put what? Abraham to sleep. And he walked through by himself. 
to show that the fulfillment of this covenant that he was making with Abraham would rest upon him and him alone, not upon Abraham's deeds, but upon his grace and mercy and goodness. And you stop and think of the heritage of the children of Israel in verses 7 to 17. They have the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. God painfully upholds them in spite of the mistakes and the sin that they do. God still carries out his purposes and his plans. And he looks at us today and he says, you know, uh, we're going to call you like branches that will be grafted in. And there were saints that were coming in Paul's day to share the truth of God. In fact, they were, they were zealous. Paul was persecuting them to destroy them. And one day in the future, many who are rebellious against the Lord God will turn to him. Verse 27 says this, God is faithful to carry out his covenant to turn their hearts to himself and forgive their sin. You see, my friends, the whole concept of salvation from the past to incredibly to the future is the merciful God Almighty. Not only upon Israel, but upon us. As Gentiles, we would say, well, you know, uh, praise, <laughs> praise the Lord, I'm not like them. You know, I don't make it. Boy, wow. Boy, God was really merciful to them for what they did. Well... Are we any better? No. You see, salvation is based upon his mercy, not our merit. We don't merit salvation. We don't earn salvation. It is the gift of God. And you come to verse 32, And it shows that intentional defiance, disobedience of the Gentile nations against the Lord Almighty. So that Jews and Gentiles together are all under God's condemnation. Just like Romans chapter 3. It is seen here in chapter 11. They're shut up all into disobedience. Why? They have intentionally failed to acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ and failed to obey his truth and walked in defiance against him. When we approach so many of our non-Christian friends about the plan of salvation and we say to them different words, do you notice that one of the first points that they come back with, well, yeah, but I haven't done, well, yeah, but I, I do all these, well, yeah, but I'm a good Right. All self-sufficiency. But when you get to the core of self-sufficiency, what is at the core? Pride. Look what I have done. Look what I have accomplished. Well, the Lord's going to be so lucky to have me on his side. Really? Well, you know, I just, I, I'm just such a, a wonderful person. But when you stop and think of all that has happened through redemptive history, all that has happened through redemptive history, it has always been God's plan of redemption that he, man can never, will never be able to redeem himself. And in past, present, and future redemptive history, it is all centered on the cross of Jesus Christ. All on the cross of Jesus Christ. 
people can never redeem themselves. That is the damnable part of religion where man tries by his own human efforts to make himself acceptable to God. But that's the power of relationship. When Jesus has that relationship with us, that's the powerful thing. I love what J.I. Packer wrote in his book, Knowing God. There are six things that do not change about God. God's life does not change. He doesn't become older or weaker. God's character does not change. The Lord is a compassionate, gracious, merciful God, slow to anger. As that was written in Exodus 34, so it is true today. God's truth does not change. All of his principles and standards and truths that he speaks forth in his word are true and right just as they always have been. God's ways do not change. He acts towards men as he always have. What? Blesses them, convicts them, redeems them, keeps them. God's purposes have not changed. The promises that he has made, he will fulfill. The purposes that he has planned, they will come to pass. And the last thing, what? God's son does not change. How fitting, how absolutely fitting it should be that when we think of the mercy of Almighty God and the great mercy that is seen in salvation, that we would give praise to our merciful, sovereign God who controls all. You saw the mandate of salvation, the message, the mindset because of that the mercy that is seen, and he comes here in verse 33 with a capstone, and he says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and unfathomable his ways. And then he asked three questions. Do you understand God's mind? Do you as a human being, were you God's counselor? Did God come to you and say, what do you think I ought to do about this? Is God indebted to you to plan and provide the plan of salvation? No. How could the sinner plan to redeem himself? He cannot. That's the mercy of God to provide it for us. Tozer says in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, God knows instantly and effortlessly all matter and all matters, all mind and every mind, all spirit and all spirits, all being and every being, all creaturehood and all creatures, all law and every law, All relations, all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feelings, all desire, every unuttered secret, all thrones and dominions, all personalities, all things visible and invisible in heaven and in earth, motion, space, time, life, 
death, good, evil, heaven, and hell. And is it any wonder that Paul would enter this passage and end it by saying this, for from him and through him and to him are all things, what? To him be the glory forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, where would we be without your mercy? Where would we be without redemption in Christ? Hmm. We'd be lost, abandoned in the darkness, lying in the lap of the evil one. But you, O oh Lord, you, O oh Lord, motivated by your love, withholds your judgment, shows us mercy, and bestows upon us your grace. And then says, for by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. O oh Lord, we are indeed grateful for your mercy. Thank you, O oh Lord, for showing it to us and being that incredible example of mercy in dying in our place upon Calvary's cross so that we would not have to face the punishment of our sin. Thank you, O oh Lord. And thank you, O oh Lord, that from you, and through you and to you are all things. To you, O Lord, be the glory forever. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.